It's great to uh, finally get back to my series on uh, the attributes of God. This morning I want us to look at the attribute of our God being a Bible-reading God. If you study Jesus' sermons, His preaching, you notice every time He's preaching, every time He's teaching, He's also reading the Bible. He takes a passage of Scripture and He reads it which means he's familiar with it. He's acquainted with it. He's reading it, and then he reads it to others. Let me give you a quick example of that. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. It says, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So he gets up to preach, and they hand him the book of Isaiah. And he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So there's a great example of how Jesus proclaimed the word when he got up in church to preach. He would take a Bible passage, he would read it, and then he would expound upon it. But I, I don't know how many years I went before I realized, oh, God not only writes the Bible... God reads the Bible. And sometimes we don't think about it that way. Not only does he write the Bible and read the Bible, but he expects us to read the Bible as well. I want us to see that this morning, that our Bible-reading God expects his church to be Bible-reading saints. Um, It's easy to see he expected the Pharisees to be Bible-readers. Because of that group, he frequently reads the Bible to them. And he exhorts them that they should have been reading the Bible themselves or he wouldn't have to read the Bible to them. That makes me think, do you hear Jesus reading the Bible to you? I hope you do. But also, he wants us to be reading the Bible to ourselves. Let's look at some passages where he's frequently reading the Bible to the Pharisees, starting with Matthew chapter 12. Um, And notice a repeated phrase in some form or other in every passage that I read to you that he's reading to the Pharisees. And the repeated phrase is, Have you not read? which is the expectation. I, I've, I've been expecting you to read this on your own. Ha, have you not read? Look at first, Matthew 12, 1 through 7. It says, at that time, Jesus went through uh, the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the ruling group of church folks, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, here's that phrase, Have you not read? What David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and how they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Or, verse 5, have you not read? There's that phrase again. Kind of been expecting y'all to read your Bibles. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. There he's quoting more scripture. You would not have condemned the innocent. So your views are all messed up. And the reason your views are all messed up on the Sabbath is because you're not reading your Bibles. Haven't you been reading your Bibles? Look at chapter 19 of Matthew, verses 1 through 4. So they got questions about the Sabbath, and now they come to him with questions about divorce in Matthew 19. 
It says, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee, and he came to the region of Judea beyond Jordan, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I often laugh and think about, Guys, you only had to read two pages of Scripture to get this answer. It's like, have you not read? I mean, you didn't have to go far. This is in chapter 2 of Genesis. Before he said, you know, you just had to read the law, the book of Moses, and you would have gotten your answer. Haven't you been reading your Bible? Uh, Look at chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and they said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. So again, the criticism is you're not reading your Bibles And you should have been reading them. Look at verse 40, same chapter. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched inn and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So again, he's reading the Bible to them. But he says, I'm expecting you to be reading the Bible. And obviously you're not. One more time. Look at chapter 22, verse 28. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they have all been married to her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, Why? Not understanding the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, you have not read. What was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So repeatedly, over and over and over, You get Jesus talking to the Pharisees, who supposedly are the teachers in the church. I didn't even read uh, for you the whole story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in John chapter 3. And Jesus is shaking his head with Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, Wait, 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 are you a Pharisee? Are you a teacher in Israel? And you don't know these things? He says, The stuff you come and ask me, all you had to do was read your Bible. How could you be teachers of the Bible and not read the Bible? Now, that leads me to a very sobering realization. Not only that Jesus expects us to read the Bible, the Pharisees were not reading it, and they got a whole lot of stuff wrong. So if you're not reading your Bibles completely, you might be a Pharisee if. You're not reading your Bible completely. Because if you're not reading it completely, you're not going to understand it fully. And you're left, since you don't have a full understanding of all the Scriptures, you're left to self-impose conclusions. You're left with half-truths. And you become some of the most frightening people on the planet. Because you lead and you teach with imbalance. With incomplete conclusions. With half-truths. How dangerous is that? God's 
was gracious to me to give me a seminary professor in 1980 that required me to read large chunks of scripture. And when that happened, it, the Holy Spirit convicted me then, David, how can you be a preacher? How can you train to do that and not read the book? And so that was the year I began reading all the way through. Because I didn't want to be like the Pharisees. I didn't want incomplete answers. I don't want to be one of those who preach and teach like they have all the pieces of the puzzle when they've never even read all the pieces of the puzzle. We must get into God's Word, and we must read through it. He expects that of us, and especially if we are preachers and teachers of His Word. So I want you to see... God expects Bible reading, not only through the Pharisees, but through many other places. Let's go through some verses. Look at Romans 15, verse 4. Here he's talking about the whole Old Testament. The New Testament was being written as this comes out. Romans 15, verse 4. (coughs) He says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written... For our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. He says, what I've written for you, all of the Old Testament, I I wrote it for your instruction, and then don't miss the word persevering. So I don't just expect you to read it and be instructed by it. I expect you to persevere with the Scriptures. What does that mean to you? To persevere. In any case, it's not necessarily easy. It's not, but it's something we have to work on and, 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 and continue with and endure with this process of reading through the Scriptures because God has intended them for our instruction. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, the last verse into chapter 2. 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 25, says, The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. There's a lot in there. But if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you truly are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you have been given as a gift God's Word. He says, and that Word is an enduring Word. It's been preached to you. The reason you're a believer is because someone proclaimed God's Word to you. Faith in Christ comes through hearing the Word of God. And so as you heard the Word of God, you became a believer. He says, therefore... Lay aside, he mentions whatever, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Lay aside all those lusts, those desires, those thoughts that you have that's keeping you from the Word of God. Lay all of that down and like a newborn babe, take up a diet of the Word of God. It's like a newborn babe um, longs for pure milk from the Word. One of the devastating prayer requests we get sometimes is pray for the little baby. And usually the little baby, when that prayer request comes in, is in the, pre, is in the neonatal unit. That the baby is a preemie. And when the baby is a preemie, one of the concerns is, is the baby nursing? Can't. It's too small. Is the baby taking milk? And I've, I've heard that prayer request come in, pray that my, my baby will eat. Why? Because we know if it doesn't eat, if it doesn't long for milk, if it doesn't long for nourishment, it dies. So the emergency teams are brought in. That's the illustration here. The illustration is if you're a believer and you are not hungering and thirsting for the Word of God as your regular diet, you are in intensive care. You are on life support. 
People are terribly concerned about you. Because if you don't soon eat a diet of the Word of God, you will die. You're not really a believer after all. Very serious thing, guys. I expect you to not only be in the Word, but to hunger and thirst like newborn babes hunger and thirst for nourishment themselves. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, 18 through 20. Here's the passage of Scripture given to the people of God knowing they were going to desire a king. And so God says, I know you're going to want a king when you get into the promised land. And so once you get there, let me give you some um, guidelines on what you should do in in, in getting your king. And uh, verses 14 through 17 basically say, uh, make sure you get a godly king. And then verses 18 to the end of chapter 17 of Deuteronomy says, now when you get this godly king, make sure he does these these things. Notice what he does. Now, verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom and in the midst of Israel. Now, let me break that down for you in our language. So I, I want you, when you get, get a king, get a godly king, and then make sure this is what the king does that you've, you've chosen. First of all, he needs his own copy of the Word of God. See, they didn't have Amazon. He couldn't just go online and, you know, have them send one. So he had to write out word for word his own copy of the Bible. And he, God says, I, and I want him to do that in the presence of the Levitical priests because they were in charge of accuracy. Make sure not only that he, get, he gets his own copy of the Bible, but it needs to be an accurate copy of the Bible. And after he has the Bible in front of him, he says, what is he supposed to do? He says he's supposed to read it every day, all the days of his life. So he gets his own copy of the Bible, which, by the way, is one of the reasons we so desperately want our kids to learn to read. So they can read the Word of God. And faith comes through hearing the Word of God. But the king's supposed to get this copy. He's supposed to read it every day, all the days of his life. And then God says, and the reason for this is four things. He says, I, I will give him four things if he gets his copy of the Bible and he reads it every day, all the days of his life. I'll get him, first of all, to be a man who fears me. Worship. He will begin his days worshiping God. Number two, not only will he, he be a man who fears me, he'll be a man who obeys me. Completely doing what he reads in the book. Number three, he'll be a humble man, not lifting himself up above his countrymen, but he will be a great king servant. And number four, he will be a blessed man. Not only will the blessing be for him, it'll be for his sons, and it'll be for his sons in the midst of Israel, which means the blessing will not only be on him and his sons, but on the whole community, on the whole nation. Now ask yourself that when you vote for leaders. Do you want a leader that is fearing God, worshiping God, that is humble, humble servant, that's obedient to the scriptures and that is a blessing to himself, his family, his community, his church, his nation? Do you want that kind of leader? To get that kind of leader, he must be a Bible-reading leader. Pray for President Trump. Pray for Mike Pence. Pray for Pelosi. Pray for Schumer. Pray that they read the Word of God. Pray for our elders and deacons. They have a copy of the Word of God, and they read the Word of God 
every day. Because if they do that, if we have leaders like that, they will fear God. They will be humble before us and before God. They will obey God and they will be blessed. Them and their family and their church and their community and their nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. God has told us what is required of us. Read your Bibles. It's clear there. It's clear in so many places. Give you another place. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Here's the story of the Berean Christians. Paul just came out of preaching and planning a church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. And then he comes to Berea, Acts 17, and this is the description of them. It says, now these, these people in Berea, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether or not these things are so. That's interesting. The Apostle Paul would say something like that. He says, man, it was fun planting a church in Thessalonica. It was great seeing the hunger and thirst there. But when I come to Berea, man, these folks knock it out of the park. Why? He says, because when I preach to these folks, they don't just take the sermon and say, well, good sermon, preacher. But they go home and they examine it. They examine the scriptures every day. Not just on the Lord's day. Every day they're examining the scriptures to see whether or not what the preacher said was true. And they were listening to Paul. But whoever preaches has to square up with everything that's in the Word of God, which obviously is not possible if you're not reading everything in the Word of God. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Verse 4, popular passage where Jesus responding to Satan. Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered and he said, It's written. Not only does Jesus respond to the Pharisees, say, You need to read your Bible. He responds to Satan, Hey, uh, get back to the word. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's read that in its origin. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is where Jesus was quoting that scripture. You get a fuller understanding. Deuteronomy 8 says the first uh, three verses. It says, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. See, Satan was tempting Jesus to break a commandment. This was the passage that comes to his mind. No, no, no. All the commandments we're supposed to be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Jesus had just been in the wilderness 40 days. Uh, That he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and he let you be hungry and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what Jesus was quoting to Satan. He said, it's written. Where? Right here in Deuteronomy. It's written that we don't break commandments. Rather, we follow the commandments so that we can live, so that life can be wonderful and abundant. And he says, I want to live my life in such a way that I do everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus quoted it in Matthew 4, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's kind of obvious he didn't say, I want you to do some of what comes out of the mouth of God. I want you to do everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God because it was given so that you may live, that you can live humbly, and you can live righteously. God has given us his word to give us life. Um, 
You know, you see the thing. We need to be reading our Bibles. Some of you may say, well, yeah, but I thought the two greatest commandments were just, you know, we just need to love God and love each other. First commandment, love God. Second commandment, love each other. If we do that, we kind of fulfill the whole law and everything's good. Yeah, but let me ask you, how will you possibly love God according to his pleasure without reading the Bible to find out what his pleasure is and what wholehearted love for him really is about? See, we can't, we can't really love someone without listening to the words to understand their desires and their passions. God has intently or specifically given us his word to let us know what pleases him. So read the Bible that you can love God according to his pleasure. And how much love of our neighbor really happens according to their need without reading the Bible to find out what their real needs are. Reading the Bible is foundational to every other commandment. It's knowing the commands, knowing how to do what God wants us to do. So I'm encouraging you, if you're not doing it, if you are doing it, I'm encouraging you to keep doing it. If you're not doing it, I'm encouraging you to read all the way through your Bible. And I'm encouraging you to read all the way through the Bible uh, every year. If you can't do it every year, read through it every three years or every two years or every whatever. But get a plan to read through your Bible and to read through it consistently. Now, to do so usually requires some motivation. So I've been thinking, you know, what, what's my motivation for getting into the Bible every day, going through the Bible every year? I'm going to give you my motivation, the benefits I get that I pray for this year. Perhaps it'll do you good. This is my motivation. So as I open the Bible this year and start to read, uh, I pray, Lord, make me fat. And that's an acronym. It stands for faithful, affectionate, and transformed. Lord, make me fat. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be affectionate with you. And I want to be transformed by you. So as I read the word this day, make me fat. Make me more faithful. Make me more affectionate with you. Transform me into your glorious image. Now, if you could get that prayer, wouldn't it be worth it? That's what God does through the Word of God. I encourage you to make that your prayer this week, this year as well. Why don't you say it with me so you don't forget it. Say, Lord, make me fat. Make me fat. Faithful to you. Affectionate with you. Transformed by you. Let me show you some verses that go along with that. I've given you there on your outline. Uh, I think your outline was wrong. It's John 20, verse 31, instead of John 10. Look at John 20, verse 31. Faithful to you. John 20, verse 31 says, But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John is saying, the reason I wrote my gospel, the reason I've written down what I've written about Jesus is so that you would believe Him. You would have faith in Him. And that as you have faith in Him, you will have life in Him. That your faith, your belief in Him and all that He says and does produces life for you. You know, if you don't believe in Christ, if you're not faithful to Christ, you die, all you've got to show for it is death. What, what do you have to show for this world? It's all dead. It's done. It's done. But if you're faithful to Christ, if you believe in Christ, 
you live and you, you have life to show for life in Christ. It goes on and on and on. And we, we want to read the Bible to believe in Christ. We want to read the Bible to our sons and daughters, to others, to believe in Christ. Why? I've already said it like three times, so I won't turn to it. Romans ten seventeen. because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith is the foundation for faithful living. You must believe in Christ to live for Christ. You must know the things of Christ to believe in that will produce faithfulness for you in Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 16, 10 through 12, is the story of the, the faithful servant. Luke 16, let me read uh, a little of that uh, for you. Uh, beginning at verse 10, he who is faithful... And a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Obviously, God says, I want you to be faithful to serve God. He says, so much of your life is spent serving yourselves or serving to get money. And the money's not even yours. And you're going to lose it. He says, if you can't be faithful in using what's not even yours, why should I possibly give you to something to be faithful in for all eternity. You've got to believe that God's in charge. You've got to believe God is sovereign, that God gives out gifts. You've got to believe this belief makes you faithful. If you don't believe you want, find faithfulness. And if you won't read, you're not going to get what it is you need to believe in, who you need to believe in. So ask God, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold all that I need to believe because as I believe, it will produce faithfulness to you. Not only do I want to be faithful to God through the Word of God, I want to be affectionate with God. You know that you love people. You, you, you're affectionate with people you spend time with. You're most in love with people who blow you away. So I ask God, blow me away, overwhelm me. And he overwhelms me with his world. I step outside and see a beautiful sunrise or sunset. He overwhelms me with his world. He overwhelms me with his word. And that's what Psalm 19 is all about. Being overwhelmed with God's world, being overwhelmed with God's word. And it says the law of God, the word of God is important to even understand the world of God. But as you get into the Word of God, he said, just overwhelms you how sweet and wonderful and exciting uh, is Christ. Our relationship with Christ is calculated to thrill. The more you read of him, the more wonderful he is, the more exciting he is, the the, the more all-consuming he is. So I I read the Word of God so that I'm blown away with, with the wonder and the beauty and the greatness and the majesty of Christ. Third, transformed by God. Look at John 17, verse 17. Here's Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he leaves them and tells them, he says, oh, he's praying here, God, what I want you to do with my disciples is this, sanctify them, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth and your word is the truth. The Word of God, it transforms us. It cleanses us. It purges us. It purifies us. It sanctifies us. Because it's the absolute standard. It is the truth. And we don't measure up. So as we get into the truth, we see where we don't measure up. And it draws us closer to the standard as it pushes aside. We lay down our sins and and grow more and more towards Christ and into 
the image of Christ. God's Word is truth. It always sanctifies us. By the way, interesting research I found as I was going through this. What influences people most to morality? And what they found, it was an online survey of 100,000 people. And they were asking questions, what, you know, what, what, do you, what seems to influence you most? Is it your age? You know, you've grown older and wiser. Is it your gender? You know, girls are smarter than boys kind of thing. You know, is it your, your, um, your experiences? Is it your church, like a church attendance? Is it your prayer life? And what they found was that when they asked the question, is it your Bible reading? That the people who read their Bibles regularly, meaning four to five times a week, those people were 60% more likely, 60% more likely than those who trusted in their gender or their age or experiences, church attendance, prayer. Those who read their Bible were 60% more likely not to abuse alcohol, not to have sex outside of marriage, not to view pornography, and not to... um, gamble or lose money by bad stewardship. Bible reading sanctifies. It purifies. It draws us to Christ's righteousness. God expects that of us. There are great benefits in it that should motivate us. So why do we struggle with it? Well, some of the reasons we struggle, I put down for you. Number one, sometimes we have an inconsistency of vision and value. What I mean by that is, our vision is, yes, we want a knowledge of God, but we only value what we can get quickly. Which is why we opened Twitter first, Instagram second. We want it in 18 words or 18 second sound bites. We want it quickly. And this, this is a book of long stories. It's not a book of tweets, maybe the book of Proverbs, but that's about it. Everything else is long stories that is a struggle for us in our age. We need need to repent of wanting God's Word quick. We need to be willing to do what it takes to read God's Word. Second, we struggle. The Bible may, we struggle because the Bible may be a challenging read. The Bible's not the easiest book in the world. It doesn't deal with the easiest subjects. The NIV version of your Bible is written on a seventh grade level. The ESV, English Standard Version, is written on a tenth grade level. The New American Standard, which is one I use, is written on an eleventh grade reading level. And the New King James is written on a twelfth grade reading level. And that's challenging because most of us are not smarter than a third grader. So we start having to jump up to stuff that's difficult and hard. Okay, accept that. Repent of wanting it to be dumbed down. Because God's not going to do that for us. Even though we try to translate it down, that's as good as it's going to get. Some parts of the Bible appear to be boring. You know, when you start in the Bible reading Genesis, that's pretty exciting, God creating the whole world. And then the whole story of Genesis goes great. Exodus is pretty good too, moving into the promised land, out of Egypt, out of bondage, until you get to the last half of Exodus. And then the last 15 chapters of Exodus is tabernacle construction. Really? God? Really? Tabernacle construction? Why do I need to read that? And I thought as I asked that question to God, I remembered the karate kid, remember all the things he was supposed to do that he didn't understand? And his master was saying, just do it, just do it, just do it. It'll make sense. There's so much here you don't understand. Like, why tabernacle construction? Until you just start plodding through. And then you begin seeing, God says, 
Do you begin to see my passion for the church? Do you see my passion for worship? Do you see how I care for every detail, every little thing you do when you come to worship me? Do you see my passion for a people that fear me? And even tabernacle construction starts to come alive with the glories and the majesty of God. So I want you to begin to see, yeah, we struggle with things. We need to repent, though. Say, well, it's too boring or it's too hard or it's too deep. We need to get back to God's Word. Other parts of the Bible seem stale. Let's just repent. It's because we don't understand them yet. There's so much there for us to get. What's the solution? How do you get into your Bible? Two things. Don't do it alone. Don't do it without a plan. I say don't do it alone. You typically need some sort of encouragement, some sort of accountability. The first thing that we get in Genesis uh, is that was wrong with this planet was aloneness. It wasn't good that man was alone. He needed a woman. And the woman comes to help, and then God emerges. And not only do we need a woman, we need a family. Not only do we need a family, we need a church. Don't do it alone. God has given us people to encourage, to come alongside, to help, to challenge us, to, to read with us. Parents need to read to their kids. Then when the kids get to read in levels, they can read to the parents. We need to, to challenge one another and, and encourage one another. Are you reading? Have you read your Bible today? Have you read your Bible this week? Are you reading your Bible regularly? I'm not trying to get legalistic saying it's got to be every day. But there's plenty of passages in Scripture that says you're daily in the Word of God. And we need to, to do that encourage one another to it. Second, you need a plan. Um, there's all kind of plans out there. Uh, we use Uversion app here at our church. Uh, a lot of you are using it this morning because you can get to the scriptures quickly. They're already there for my sermon. Uh, the Uversion app is the most popular um, Bible app on the planet right now. Uh, and uh, so uh, you can just go to, if you want plans, we got written plans on the wall, on the information wall, which are, everything there is free. Take it if you want a plan that's written out. Some of you still use pencils and paper. That's good. Uh, that's out there. But if you're using a smart device, go to Uversion app. Scroll down till you see whole Bible. And they've got like 25 plans of how to read through the whole Bible. One of them is pretty aggressive, how to read through the Bible in three months. To do that, you've got to read 12 pages a day. Uh, that, and you've got to commit to five or six hours a week to read all the way through the Bible in three months. But I, we've got people in this church who've done that. So get a plan. Get a plan that works for you. Whole Bible reading plan, whether it's a one-year plan, two-year plan, three-year plan, you know, whatever. Get a Bible reading plan. Um, plans are based on recordings. Uh, how long does it take to read this section of Scripture? If you, you can get the Bible read to you. You don't have to read it. You can just get it read to you. Typically, a recorded version of the Bible is 72 hours in length. 18 hours for the New Testament, 54 hours for the Old Testament. That's all it takes to read through the Bible. If you, if you read at that speed, you can read through the New Testament in 28 days. It, it's, it, you just need to throw out the lie that you don't have time to read the Bible. You can read all the way through the Bible the way I did it back in 1980. So, God, I want to get through this Bible. I got to have a plan. So I went through the table of contents and wrote beside each book the number of chapters in that book. And then I added up all the chapters and then I divided by the number of days I was going to read and it came out to 3.26 chapters a day. So I knew if I was on track with my plan as long as I was reading 3.26 chapters a day. I mean, that's a plan. Come up with a plan. There's plenty of plans out there for you. Somebody somewhere compiled, I don't know who it was, but I wrote it down. Uh, and I'll leave these copies if anybody wants to come up and take a picture or take one of these with you. But somebody came up with uh, the Bible written um, and then read at 100 words per minute. Now, I talk at about 300 words per minute, okay? So 100 words per minute is slow. Slow reader. 
If you read the Bible at 100 words per minute, how long would it take you to read each book of the Bible? And then they, comp- they so they did that at 100 words, because you can put in the computer, this book has this many words. At 100 words, reading at that space from shortest to the longest, you can read through Third John in 2.2 minutes. Second John, two minutes. Philemon, three minutes. Obadiah, four and a half minutes. Jude, four and a half minutes. Titus, seven minutes. You can read Second Thessalonians in eight minutes. You can read Nahum in eight and a half minutes. Haggai in nine minutes. Habakkuk, only ten minutes. Jonah, just ten minutes. Second Peter, ten minutes. Zephaniah, ten minutes. Second Timothy, 12 minutes. Malachi, 13 minutes. Joel, 15 minutes. First Thessalonians, 15 minutes. Colossians, 16 minutes. First Timothy, 16 minutes. Philippians, 16 minutes. First Peter, 17 minutes. James, 17 and a half minutes. Song of Solomon, just 20 minutes. Ruth, 20 minutes. Micah, 21 minutes. First John, 21 minutes. Galatians, 22 minutes. Lamentations, 23 minutes. Ephesians, 24 minutes. Amos, 30 minutes. That's 30 books of the Bible. You can read all 30 of them in less than 30 minutes. Don't tell me you can't read whole books of Scripture. See, that's nothing. Now, Jeremiah is the longest, 330 minutes. Yeah, there's some, there's some long books but we've bought the lie that it's too much and we can't handle it. And it's not true. We can do it. And we can read whole books of Scripture. 30, of, 30 out of 66 books, almost half of the Bible, as far as books, or half of the books of the Bible, you can read in less than 30 minutes. So get a plan and get into it and start reading your Bible. Now, I've gone over... But let me just say this before I quit. Your salvation does not depend upon it. I'm not saying that you must read through your Bible every day, all the days of your life to be saved. Now, it may lead to your salvation. No doubt about it. Some of you who are here and you say, I would love to have God working in my life. I would love to be a follower of Christ. How do I get there? One of the ways you get there is by reading the Bible because faith Your faith in Christ will come by hearing the Word of God. But Christ is our Savior. Only Christ saves. We must believe in Christ, not in our Bible reading practice for salvation. So don't don't misconstrue that. I want you to, to see who you should believe in and follow Him. Well, there's so many reasons to read the Bible. Let me just give you a few more before I, I quit very quickly. Um, Why should you read the Bible? As I think through that, number one, it's the most exciting book in the world. The most exciting book you will ever, ever read. Why? Because it is the only book that is written by our personal creator for his personal creation communicated personally to us. There's no other book like that. It's the only book from God to man. That's exciting. That's thrilling that we can read God's Word. Second, I want you to see, it's the only book of its kind. It's the only book that is inerrant. It's written by a God who cannot lie. Every part is true. It's without error. It's infallible. It's authoritative in all it affirms. There's no other book of this nature that exists on the planet. Third, it's the most profitable book you will ever read. The most profit. You will get more out of this book than any other book you read. Why? Because every single word of this book is God-breathed with the intent of giving you doctrine to believe, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly furnished for every good deed.
There's no other book like that. It's the only book personally given by God to us. It's no other book of its kind. There's no other book more profitable than this book. Also, it's a book of hope in a world that's dark and depressing and sinful. God gives us a way out, a way of hope, a way out of the darkness, a way out of the bondage. Every bondage we in, it moves us to Christ, which is a life of abundance and excitement in him. So what a book it is, a book of hope. It's a book that's based on a solid foundation because it is based on Christ, who is the word that became flesh. And on Christ is our solid ground. All other ground is sinking sand. What a foundation to build upon, to build upon the Word of God. It's also a weapon. There's no other book like it that's a weapon. It's a sword that can slay the powers of sin and death and darkness. It can purge. It can purify us like nothing else can do. It's a it's, 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 it's an enduring book. Grass withers. Flowers fade. But the Word of God stands forever, and it never returns to God void. Let us be absorbed with this book. Let us be drenched by this book. Let us be filled with this book so that we can know the thoughts of God. And if we can know the thoughts of God, then we can think the thoughts of God. And if we can think the thoughts of God, then we can perform the will of God. And let that be our ambition that whether we are here at home in our bodies or glorified with heaven, that we live our lives to be found pleasing to God according to the word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you badly. Fill us with the light of your truth. Take us out of our dreary wanderings of missing life according to your word. Father, we all have work to do today, tomorrow, and every day that work of hearing our God speak and following your every desire and command. Father, fill us with truth. May we be a church that is drenched in the words of life, that are filled with your truth day in and day out. Forgive us for all of our excuses. Lead us to be fat, to be faithful to you, affectionate with you and transformed by you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.